Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's episode is a special one, is part of uh, the Asian edition, where we are covering uh, scale ups and startups from Southeast Asia uh, with my co-founder and co-host, Andrew Wong. Andrew, welcome back to, Hi, thank to the you. show. Thank you. Thank you for having me here again. I think we we covered the uh, Philippines, we covered uh, Singapore, we almost covered Malaysia, and now we are covering you know uh, Thailand. So I think it's uh, you know, everything is probably moving fine right now. So congratulations uh, for your X number of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, thanks for being with me in in this. And today's guest is a special one. His name is uh, Wilfred the CEO of Zappi, Wilfred, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, Andrew, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's get to know more uh, about you and uh, how did you end starting up uh, Zappi? Sure, sure. Yeah, so um, I guess, you know, quick background uh, about myself, right, and, and how uh, I, I came to be where, where I am today. Um, so... I, I've been in, into startups for a number of years, right? Um, I'm, I'm from France, but I actually grew up in, in Asia. Um, I, I lived in, in mainland China for a number of years. That's really why I started to work in, in startups and it got me hooked very fast. I knew that mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. So uh, fast forward, actually not that, that long time because uh, I guess I was quite uh, early uh, in, in, in relative terms in, in you know, really getting out there and getting started. I built my first company uh, in uh, between Beijing and uh, Hong Kong. That was a direct-to-consumer brand. It still continues to this day. But it's more a, a, of a lifestyle, uh, you know, side business uh, today. And, uh, you know, in light of the experience of uh, kind of building that up, right, I decided that, you know, I really wanted to focus my attention on something that had uh, huge potential for scale. And that's what brought me, uh, you know, from uh, Beijing to then Hong Kong to then, uh, you know, Singapore to start uh, what is now Zappi. So Zappi is the product of about, uh, you know, a year of first, you know, ideation, trying to understand the markets in Southeast Asia, the, uh, the customers, uh, the opportunities and so on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, strong from that understanding and deciding to focus on this particular opportunity of e-commerce enablement for small businesses within the broader context of the digitization of MSMEs, uh, which is, you know, possibly one of the, the, the biggest trends that we have today in, in Southeast Asia uh, in terms of uh, sheer, you know, dollar opportunity. I love it. And um, we also had a, 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 what I call a, a professional entrepreneur, uh, Benoit from Payflow, uh, who is based in Barcelona okay. and expanding across uh, LATAM, which is also backed by Flash Ventures. And we, we discussed it a lot, also the process of, um, spending time or investing time in, in the process of ideation and really ensuring that we are picking a, a great idea and a great opportunity uh, before um, starting up. And I think this is less common in the past and we are seeing more and more of this happening. Maybe also because of uh, this kind of pre-seed investors being much more founder friendly and uh, much more helpful. Uh, by the way, what for the ones who are considering a move and might be also as, as you in the past, 
leading a lifestyle business and want to go into an opportunity that has more potential to scale more aggressively uh, and are seeing also the the rounds being raised uh, in, in in the in the main media portals and so on so what has been your, your experience moving and considering options before deciding into flash ventures and into this uh, opportunity yeah yeah so uh, I guess I separate um you know, two things, right? One is deciding to uh, start a venture-backed business uh, as opposed to a lifestyle business. And the other one is deciding on flash ventures as opposed to, you know, uh, other options of, of starting a, a venture-backed business, right? Um, yeah. So on the first one, I'd say, uh, you know, when you're, you're, you're making the decision of starting a, a venture-backed business, make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and make sure that you understand uh, what it is that, that you're getting into, right? So uh, I think especially in markets that have had less exposure to venture, uh, be it, uh, you know, for instance, in, in Africa, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I hear from some friends who are active in the venture scene uh, in, uh, say, Morocco, right? Uh, that the, the, the biggest nice. um, problem that they face is that entrepreneurs are coming to them with small business ideas, lifestyle business ideas, not venture ideas, right? So you've got to be very clear that, uh, you know, um, not all business ideas are venture backable businesses, which doesn't mean, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? You can, uh, you know, get a great lifestyle out of starting a very successful uh, lifestyle business, right? right. Um, but uh, if you want to start a venture backable business, then, uh, you know, the, the scope of ideas that you can execute on narrows hugely all of a sudden, right? Uh, there are not that many ideas that can scale to, uh, you know, a billion dollars, $10 billion or more, right? So you've got to be very intentional about what it is that you decide to, to pursue and also uh, be cognizant of the fact that it's going to be a very different, uh, you know, uh, sort of experience of starting a business. One uh, where, you know, you're going to possibly live and die, uh, likely by fundraising rounds. <laughs> uh, it's going to be very fast paced. It's really, you know, go big or go home, right? Uh, at every step of the journey, uh, you need to, you're banking that, you know, uh, a lot of assumptions are going to turn out to be true. Uh, and if, it, if they do, indeed, you're going to be able to, you know, uh, hyper grow. Uh, but uh, if they don't, uh, you will uh, hyper blow up, right? right. <laughs> uh, so, so, so you do need to be quite risk loving if you're deciding to take this path. So that's on the first question. Yeah. On, the, on the latter, right, which is Flash Ventures versus, you know, uh, other, other investors. So, um, you know, what I say always with, people who, uh, you know, ask me this question is, uh, uh, you know, why flash ventures versus uh, other investors, right? I think, yeah. uh, so let me first, first put up a disclaimer, which is that flash ventures are great investors. Uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to have them and to have GFC uh, on our cap table. They've been uh, nothing but, uh, you know, the best partners uh, so far in the journey. So, uh, you know, really couldn't wish for, for any, uh, any better investors, right? Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to considering one's options, uh, you know, by, by definition, it is very much dependent on what your options are. Uh, if you're a uh, third time star entrepreneur with a couple of unicorns under your belt, uh, your options are going to look very different than a first time entrepreneur with not that much credibility and not, not that many connections in the space. Right. Um, okay. And so if, if you're in that kind of, uh, you know, position, perhaps like a uh, quote unquote uh, talent investor, like an entrepreneur first or an antler might make some sense for you. Uh, perhaps, you know, a flash ventures, uh, which uh, who are more comfortable taking bets on the kind of, uh, people who are early in their entrepreneurship journey. 
Um, mm -hmm. might be a better fit. Uh, but again, those options are going to look different depending on, on where you're at and what your profile is. Got it. Uh, great uh, structure of the of the question. And thanks for separating both uh, sure. subjects. And yeah, let's get to know also a little bit more about um, Zappi. So ex explain us a little bit more the, the product, the ICP, how, how is it evolving, the, the long-term vision? Yeah, so... Uh, Starting from the beginning, right, um, yeah. Zappi was really born out of the realization that there are two massive trends in Southeast Asia that are currently coalescing to create an enormous opportunity, namely uh, the digitization of small businesses. Small businesses yeah. in Southeast Asia, or rather the population of Southeast Asia, has gone from about 30% uh, internet and digital penetration in 2015 to about 80% today, right, in a region of 600 million plus people. Uh, the small business segment very much mirrors this. So that's uh, trend number one, access. Trend number two is incentive. In just the last two and a half years, small businesses have gone from being extremely resi resistant to change and resistant to digitalization to having being no choice but to adopt new digital tools and new digital processes, right? And as a result of that, we're seeing now uh, the small business segment, which represents 50% of the Southeast Asian economy, moving online in a massive wave. And so that's really right. the, the opportunity that we're going after. In the coming years, we can expect that, you know, from about 20% of small businesses that today use digital tools for business in Southeast Asia region, we're going to have the large majority of them uh, using digital tools, right? And we're talking about a $2 trillion economy here by 2025 with about 130 million uh, businesses, right? So uh, our aim at Zappi is to provide these small businesses with the tools that currently don't exist or are very limited for them to move online. And that starts... Uh, with e-commerce enablement as a use case. Uh, so why e-commerce enablement? Uh, if we look, if you look further afield in all regions around the world that are more advanced than Southeast Asia when it comes to e-commerce, you've got this duality of marketplaces on the one hand and of e-commerce enablers on the other. So for instance, you've got the Amazon Shopify duality. You've got the uh, Taobao in China, Waymob duality, $30 billion company, Waymob. Uh, you've got Rakuten and based in Japan. You've got Meka, Libre and Nubem Shop in Latin America. But Southeast Asia stands out uh, by not having a big player or a leading player in the e-commerce enablement category for now. And indeed, you typically see about a decade of gap between the emergence of these uh, large marketplaces and these large e-commerce enablers. In Southeast Asia, it's been bang on 10 years since the emergence of the, the largest, earliest marketplace, Lazada, 2012, right? So right now is exactly the time to be expecting uh, this type of business to emerge in the region, and that's what we're aiming to do. But strong from developing a first use case, e-commerce enablement, uh, we plan to very much move into adjacent verticals and ultimately provide the full suite of digital tools that small businesses need uh, to uh, operate their businesses, be it you know for selling, for buying, for financing themselves. Got it. Super clear and super well-structured. Uh, again, Wilfried. And in terms of expansion, I know that you have chosen uh, talent to, to start. Um, so why talent and, uh, and not the typical route into Indonesia or, or the Philippines, uh, given the, the size of the markets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so uh, very, very relevant question, right? Um, now, when it comes to Southeast Asia, the typical so entry points are certainly Indonesia, number one. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I guess the, the metaphor that people use is that Indonesia is the king, Vietnam is the queen, and uh and uh, <laughs> philippines is the jack right 
and Thailand is not even in that in that triad. So so why why Thailand? Uh, let me explain that a little bit. Um, so this question of why Thailand is really linked to why not Indonesia, right? So so we 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 can't look at one without the other. Um, so firstly, Indonesia is the largest e-commerce market in Southeast Asia by pure GMB numbers. But actually that headline number belies the underlying opportunity because if you're looking at the portion of addressable GMV, uh, i.e. for us, that means social commerce GMV, GMV that is currently not processed through marketplaces, right? And that we can therefore capture, we can scale monetization on based on our take rate. It's only about 25% of the total e-commerce pie in Indonesia. If we look at Thailand, Vietnam and Philippines, it's more than 50%, right? So immediately in relative terms, the opportunity for us is twice as large in these three markets outside of Indonesia. Now, when you add to that, the fact that Indonesia is the market that attracts the most attention and therefore the most competitors, right? Then we get to a picture where essentially, you know, we have three markets adjacent to Indonesia, which by 2025, so first they are the fastest growing in Southeast Asia, about 30% KGA versus about 17% for Indonesia. Uh, mm -hmm. By 2025, they'll be twice as large in terms of raw e-commerce GMV as Indonesia, and they'll have four times as much social commerce GMV. In addition to that, they're the least competitive, right? So uh, our, uh, you know, rationale goes that first we target, you know, Thailand as part of these three markets. Um, and uh, as the market that is the, the second largest e-commerce market in Southeast Asia, uh, and also the wealthiest amongst these four countries, about twice the GDP per capita. And strong from there, we uh, you know, start a, a regional expansion. Got it. And, and by the way, in terms of order, do you already have in mind what will be the order of that expansion or uh, at the moment? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so we've got uh, some, some ideas around that, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll, let, uh, we'll, we'll let people track our growth <laughs> Uh, and uh, and see where it is that we go from here. But you know, you, it's very you're very brave to go into a market where language is very different from from our native language, which is English, right? So in the right. Thai, you have Thai language and also the Thai Sanskrit. So how do you mitigate all these all these uh, challenges? Right, we go into a foreign market that is totally different from the traditional. Right. Right, right, right. So um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you're going to build a regional company, you're never going to speak the languages of all these countries that you're operating in, right? Uh, and uh, in the same way as, uh, you know, I, I supplement as a founder, uh, you know, my skills, which are, uh, you know, very specific with uh, skills that are complementary to mine, be it, you know, on the technical side, on the commercial side, and what have you, uh, I do supplement, uh, you know, my uh, lack of uh, you know, uh, knowledge of the language and so on and so forth uh, by some people who had that, right? Uh, so from the beginning, we've had a very strong team in, in Thailand. We've got mm. a, a strong leadership. We've got uh, some very strong uh, individual contributors uh, that have made it possible to, to localize, uh, you know, every aspect of our approach in Thailand. So it actually has not been as difficult as, uh, as uh, one might think. Uh, you know, supported by the right people, uh, everything is possible. Yeah. Um, another question is, this. I mean, I noticed that you're doing uh, e-commerce uh, on, on the mobile, right? Uh, how do you define your key, uh, you know, competitive advantage? Because as you know, uh, in all ASEAN or Southeast Asian countries, they have their own solution. And right. you coming from, from another place and putting it, you know, competing with 
existing solution, there must be something very special about your about your product. So could correct. you share with us? Yeah, 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 correct, correct. How you're different, um, how you're different. For sure. So uh, broadly, we see three categories of uh, three layers of competition in the Southeast Asia mm -hmm. region. So in the e-commerce enablement space, you've got your first layer, which is occupied by, uh, you know, the large uh, global players, right? So like yeah. your Shopify, your WooCommerces, and so on and so forth. Now, these players are not really relevant to the Southeast Asia region because they lack a tremendous amount of localization. Uh, they don't accept local, uh, or they don't integrate with local payment gateways, uh, local logistics players, they are desktop versus being possibly mobile first, which for a small business uh, often is going to be a deal breaker. They are quite expensive paywalls to get started. Whereas uh, again, we're in a region where you might need to think a little bit differently about monetization uh, through take rates, perhaps through financing solutions and so on and so forth, as opposed to uh, through subscriptions, uh, which are, are less uh, accepted, right? Um, they are rather complex, whereas users here are you know, quite new to simply being online, right? Uh, and so you, you need simple solutions uh, to, to onboard them. So as a result of all of this, uh, you know, these large global players really do not have a large footprint in the region. So we can pretty much uh, kind of brush those aside. Now, the second layer, uh, consists of, as you were saying, the localized sort of e-commerce enablers, right? So there are a couple like Seiklo in Indonesia is a quite a well-known one. Uh, you're going to have Tep Shop in, uh, in Thailand where we operate. You're going to have Pancake in, in Vietnam, right? Uh, now, the common thread that you see across uh, this layer of competition is that it emerged about 10 years ago, right? Uh, now, this is a context in which uh, you had less than a third of the population in Southeast Asia that was online. You had less than 1% of e-commerce penetration. And as a result of that, um, when these entrepreneurs built their businesses, uh, they really did not have in mind the small business segment because that small business segment was not even online, right? Um, and as a result, they've built solutions uh, tailored to the customers that they had at the time, which were larger businesses, medium-sized or above, in ways that are, again, uh, you know, subscription-dependent, desktop first as opposed to mobile first, rather sophisticated and complex and so on and so forth, right? And that's why, that's in a big way how we differentiate. Now that third layer of competition is the one in which we uh, exist, right? Now these are players that are focused on the MSME segment, small businesses that are now, you know, when the past few years have started to move online, they are selling uh, very heavily on social media. They are less sophisticated. They need simpler solutions. They are mobile first as opposed to being desktop first. They want to start with uh, solutions that are free, then perhaps convert to paid users or, uh, you know, simply pay transaction fees. Uh, or, you know, from our perspective, we monetize on kind of third parties, be it like buy now, pay later solutions, logistics players, mm. um, and so on and so forth, right? So uh, the approach is really uh, the way in which we differenti differentiate from these players is at the product level, as well as at the business model level, which is um, designed so as to be able to work for a business, uh, for a segment of users that is vastly different. Interesting, because in Malaysia, uh, in Malaysia, we, I, I would consider it to be a very mature market. We, during the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic and when we had a lockdown, you will see all the different kinds of solutions spouting out, you know, whether you use mobile, whether you use desktop, the same thing as the Philippines. So I think you came here at the right time, you know, at the right moment, where Philippines, uh, I would say Philippines and Thailand, they are they are very they are still very infant in terms of mobile adoption when it comes to this kind of e-commerce uh, mobile solution. So well mm. done, well done. 
Thank you. Thanks. So Malaysia is definitely an interesting market, but certainly a more developed one, right? A little bit more similar perhaps to, uh, you know, Singapore uh, than it is to, uh, you know, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, and to an extent, uh, Thailand, right? Uh, so like high card penetration, for instance, um, rather, uh, you know, English speaking, uh, rather, uh, you know, sort of sof more sophisticated users. So a solution like Shopify might actually fly rather well uh, in a Malaysia or a Singapore. Uh, but uh, does fall a little bit flat on its face when we're considering the other, these uh, other markets that we're talking about. So changing a little bit gears uh, and moving into uh, fundraising and some of the lessons learned uh, in your first um, rounds. So typically on the show, to give some context, we cover uh, post-Series A uh, scale-ups. But we think it's also interesting to understand uh, that the playbook, the playbooks are changing a lot, and it's good also to relearn what is happening at the pre-seed and seed level. Also, because if we don't do the things right at the pre-seed and seed level, we'll never get into A and uh, and B rounds. So it would be nice for you to kind of give us a little bit of a, an overview about some of the lessons that you have learned. Um, let's start with uh, with the pre-seed round and, and then evolve into, into the seed round, go for it. Yeah, um, so I think, uh, you know, the, the thing to, to begin with is that uh, I guess when people ask these questions, they want an answer that is very structured as a, if you take <laughs> boxes one, two, and three, then, you know, <laughs> the answer is pre-seed pre round, right? Uh, but the, the, the world is certainly a little bit more complex than that, right? Uh, so I don't think that there is a, a, a short like formula. That you would have the No, I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry to disappoint. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that there are some things that everyone will, will kind of, uh, you know, uh, go on about, right? And, and rightly so, which are, uh, you know, the, the market size, uh, the market size, which is super important, the market size and the growth, uh, the, the competition, right? How you differentiate uh, and so on and so forth, right? So uh, you've got all these classic elements of, uh, you know, what makes a, a successful business model versus what makes uh, a not successful business model. Right, that you you certainly need to be to be mindful of, uh, but then it's really going to depend uh, again on uh, you know one on you at the pre-seed level and at the seed level. Uh, the team makes a tremendous amount of difference, especially at the pre-seed level, where you know basically you know the investor is making a bet on, on you and a business idea, right? Uh, and so they, they need to be really uh, you know confident that you're going to be able to to deliver, right? Um, so. I would say, you know, the, the more credibility, obviously, that, that you have and the more experience, et cetera, uh, the least you'll have to, to uh, you know, give other proof points. But uh, if then you're, you fall a little bit uh, elsewhere on the spectrum, the more proof points you'll have to provide, right? And so that means, uh, you know, for instance, providing a very, very, like, clear, thorough business plan, providing an MVP, showing some uh, level of traction and so on and so forth, right? So uh, the more you have of that, the more you can de-risk an investment for an early stage investor, uh, the more they will be willing to, uh, you know, make that investment, right? And so um, that's that is going to mean that you need to rank or to score pretty highly on at least a few of the dimensions, either the business model or your own credibility or your traction and so on and so forth. And I would say that uh, at the pre-seed level, it skews more towards, uh, you know, uh, definitely less so on the traction and on the um, on the product side and so on and so forth. Uh, and more so like on the business model and who you are as an individual. At the seed stage, it goes more into, you know, what have you been able to prove uh, with the money that you got during this pre-seed stage, right? What product have you built? What team have you built? And so on and so forth. And certainly some product and, and like traction metrics. 
Uh, and then from the seed to the series A, it's about proving uh, you know, product market fit, right? And so that's what we're working on right now, showing that, hey, we've managed to develop this playbook that we can repeat uh, and, and scale to, to millions of users. Well, for me to say that when the moment when you entered into this, this venture, you know, at the PC level, your entire strategy is based on Thailand? Uh, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So we, yeah. we made the very uh, clear decision of starting with Thailand. Uh, we knew that that was going to be the first market. Uh, and, uh, and once we made the decision, we stuck with it. Yeah, I think that's a very good strategy. That, that probably, you know, the tipping point where, where you get your seat and eventually your seat because Thailand is a big market if you know how to execute it well. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah so I mean, th there are a few things that, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, harking back to, to, to the principles and like thinking fast and slow, right? There are some things you, you want to think uh, slowly about and some things you, you want to uh, take your time. Uh, so, sorry, uh, decisions you want to take faster, right? Uh, and decisions on like which business to do. Uh, and so, yeah, you can always tweak uh, around that general uh, sort of direction that you decide on, right? But you're not going to do 180 degrees usually. So that decision matters a lot. The decision of which market you target matters a lot. So you definitely want to take your time to think about these things, right? Uh, and then there are other decisions uh, that are reversible that you can be a little bit more cowboyish about. Uh, but uh, there are a few key decisions that you, you do really want to make uh, in an intentional manner. And for, for the ones who are listening us, so Wilfried and, and Zappi were able to raise the 500k uh, US dollars pre-seed round with, with Flash Ventures um, last year. And uh, some weeks ago, uh, seed rounds of 4.5 million. Uh, with so four, four million. The sorry, the four million. Four, four plus 4. the five hundred. Exactly. exactly. I was just looking into your uh, yeah. LinkedIn post. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And with but now, you know, yeah, you know, if I'm an investor, I will bet on him. I will bet Appreciate on you that. if I'm an investor. <laughs> you know, because number one, I see that bravado as an entrepreneur to go into a foreign market where you have really nothing on, but accept strategy. That's that's really impressive, I would say, and, and I'm Cheers. I'm not surprised you get you get you get to raise the kind of money. You got the market, right? You're brave enough to enter, and and you have a strategy how you're going to do this. So it gives a lot of comfort. Uh, we 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 never find this kind of entrepreneur. You actually get out of your comfort zone, you know, to go into a market that you can fight in, right? And, right. And, and you are you are. You are betting on the market as well, you know, as an entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. fantastic. I, I will bet my money on you, actually. I will do that. Appreciate <laughs> it, Andrew. Well, well, in fact, we have quite a few angels in this round, and, uh, you know, we could fit in a few more. So uh, ping me after this call if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Super well structured. And I was just saying some of the investors that back at that, the seed round, uh, as you have in your LinkedIn post for the ones who want to follow you on, on LinkedIn. Global yep. Founders Capital, Partech, Flourish Ventures, um, Kaya Founders, Iterative, uh, Sketchnote Partners, uh, XA uh, Network, um, and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting. 1982, 1982 as well. Ventures, exactly. Thank you. Well then, Wilfred, you, ne you never forget any, anything. There's yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. investors that were uh, backing you uh, at the seed round. So, And you said yeah. that you also have... Um, 
business angels yeah. uh, also support we have about 45 angels in the round as well wow uh so so there was a lot of like work that went into putting this round together but uh you know we feel uh, i feel super fortunate for the amount of uh, of support that we received and uh you know amazing people uh like um kunal shah from cred in india uh sumit shah from dukan uh, in india so you know there were a couple of uh, players around the world now executing on similar business models uh we you know I, i've tried to go out of my way to, to make connections and across the exchange insights and so on and so forth and and sumit has been uh, has been a really great partner uh, in this and we, we're more than happy to have him on the cap table uh and we have uh you know a ton of investors uh, founders operators uh in the region and beyond uh, who are really providing invaluable support that's really great and uh, and the way that you also attracted these kind of investors to support your vision and the business to to move forward right it's super important the investment that you did to do the fundraising right ensuring that you have um, not only the capital but uh, smart capital as we always say correct correct yeah Let's change gears into, into the team uh, chapter. As you said, it's one of the most uh, important and, and start with the typical question and uh, that entrepreneurs ask themselves and investors as well. Uh, why running as a solo founder uh, instead of with a co-founder in, in this venture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely a worthy question. And I'll say that hopefully I'm able to Uh, bring a little bit of a balanced view to this question because I have had a co-founder with my my first uh, company uh, and in uh, you know a few like failed projects uh, in between um, and uh, now I don't right so so I've definitely seen both sides of uh, of that picture um, so I decide I would say first you know do not let the uh, the fact that you do not have a co-founder uh, stop you in your tracks right if you are uh, you know extremely intent uh, about starting business and so on and so forth that should not be uh, you know a, a limiting factor above um, everything else right um, now I, I do think that there are um, some downsides of being a sole founder right and, and you know looking at the journey that I had with my first venture now I would say that the the top one really uh, is emotional support right So you have the complementarity of skills, uh, you know, sure, but you can get that from someone that you hire in, right? But at the end of the day, what you cannot uh, replace in a co-founder is really having someone that goes through those ups and downs with you, right? Because, you know, employees always going to see, um, you know, the, uh, you know, they're going to get their paycheck every month. They see uh, a, a sort of, a, uh, uh, you know, what's in front of the curtain, which is that level of stability, Uh, when behind the curtain, it's it's an all-out war, right? Uh, so sometimes it's nice to have someone behind the curtain to to, to share those uh, those struggles with you, right? Um, now, so I, I definitely mark that out as uh, as one of the downsides. Now, I'll say that you know I, I've got a, a a life partner who is of extreme uh, you know uh, support, right? And therefore, uh, even though she she didn't necessarily sign up for this, uh, she has been uh, playing a lot of the role that that a co-founder otherwise would be uh, in that respect, right? Um, so that's on the, the downside aspect. Now, I, however, I do think there are some benefits, right? And so uh, these would come mainly in the form of uh, speed of execution, right? So as a sole founder, you can execute much faster. And when I do compare my first venture with my current one, there's definitely less uh, dithering. There's less, uh, you know, debate. There's more decisiveness. And in an environment where you need to have advice towards action, that is definitely a big positive. Now, you need to make sure that you're checking yourself 
right? That when you're making an important decision, you do uh, you use other people as sounding boards. You do meet, be mindful about the weight of your own words, especially if you're speaking with employees and, uh, you know, to make sure that you're not coloring their views and you're going to get some honest opinions there. Uh, but uh, that decisiveness of action that you get as a sole founder, uh, I think is, is worth gold, right? So, uh, so I, I wouldn't say that it's, uh, it's all bad. Certainly there are some big positives. Got it. Love it. And that's a good point that you have also been uh, working with a co-founder before. Correct. So you you know uh, what is the difference between the both ways of um, starting up a company. And yep. uh, at this stage, now going into the seed round, that's the moment where you start um, creating your initial or your first version of leadership team, maybe more ads than than VPs. And, and by the way, what is the ad count now? Just to give an idea to... So to right audience. now, right now it's a little bit over 20 of us. Yeah. Got it. So this is kind of the moment where you start building the, the first structure yep. of your uh, leadership team. So what has been some of your insights and what are you facing uh, building the, this first version of your leadership, leadership team? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I would say that hiring is as many people would, uh, and, and people management is probably the most difficult aspect <laughs> of being uh, being a founder, right? Um, and, and certainly for, for us, uh, it, it has been. And, and the reason is that it's because it's people, it's uh, you, you can put all the frameworks and structure that, that you want. Uh, it's always going to remain a very, very qualitative uh, kind of like question, right, to, to navigate. Um, and so, you know, the, in terms of a few principles at the seed stage that, that we're operating by that I think are helpful, I would say, uh, you know, we're not hiring at the highest levels of the hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so as you were saying, like VPs or C-level and so on and so forth, uh, but rather hiring, you know, one or two levels below that and giving people some headroom to prove themselves, to keep growing. So I think that that is a good principle to, to operate by. Um, now, in terms of who you should uh, be hiring, right? Uh, what we found is that, uh, when you don't want to necessarily, you don't want to overstretch yourself too far, right? And go for that, uh, you know, VP of product at Facebook or, or something like that, right? Um, one thing is going to be really difficult to compete on uh, compensation, right? Uh, and when people get to that level, there is typically, you know, a bit of a, um, you know, a, a bit of a risk aversion that sets in where, you know, uh, once you've been at Facebook, say, for a couple of years, the prospect of going uh, in, into an early stage startup with all the uh, kind of like, uh, you know, um, uncertainty that that involves, uh, it can be quite a daunting one, right? Um, so there's the compensation aspect, and there's also then this, uh, this kind of like risk aversion aspect, which means that it's going to end up being a bit of a frustrating journey, whereby it seems that they're really right for the role, right? And then when you start to talk about comp and you start to talk about, you know, you give the offer, you start to talk about joining, et cetera, the uncertainty, typically you're going to find that there's not that great of an alignment at the seed stage. And you're probably better off keeping those people in the back of your pocket for the series A stage, right? And that's a little bit the experience that we've had. So now where we're going at is more, you know, hiring that sort of like, uh, you know, VP minus one um, type, of, type of person. So someone who is, uh, just underneath the level that they want to be at, right? And that show that they really have a hunger to like go up those levels, right? right and prove themselves. Uh, so right now we are, we're, we're definitely, uh, you know, putting more of a bias towards hiring people with passion and with fire uh, who <laughs> have some level of experience, right? And who uh, certainly show very strong signs that they can, you know, reach that next level 
of uh, you know in the hierarchy that you want them to reach. Uh, and that's a bet that we made, for instance, internally with our uh, engineering lead at the pre-seed stage, that who is now our VP of engineering, and a bet that has uh, you know worked out tremendously. Got it. And by the way, until you get into seed stage for, from pre-seed uh, into the seed round, um, what 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 has been the ad count? Because we also see this differ a lot. Yeah. So for us, it was about fifteen, and now we've scaled to about twenty-ish, and we'll scale further, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we're taking our, our time. Uh, yeah, because you, are, yeah. you just raised the seed round. Sorry about the question. So it's, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. now it's, that's when you are accelerating the, the for sure, hiring. For sure. uh, but the, the headcount, I think, is going to be very quite, uh, quite importantly. And it, it's going to depend a lot on the region, right? Uh, so if you're talking to Southeast Asian startups, I would imagine it's somewhere in the region of what I uh, mentioned to you. If you're talking to startups in the US, right, uh, right. It, it'll probably be just five, six, five or six people. Five or six, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a, a great point. So I, I would have much more questions and I'm sure that Andrew uh, as well, but time flies unfortunately on, on the show. Um, but that's also a good excuse to have you back in further episodes sure. to share your lessons. We'll be happy to. As you scale your company. So let's go into the segment uh, that we have uh, quick uh, questions and answers to wrap up the show. So if you would have an opportunity to have a coffee with yourself uh, at the beginning of Zappi, what advice would you offer to your younger self? By the way, when was the beginning? Uh, really? uh, a year ago now. A year ago. Yeah. Okay. Year One year ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would um, you say to yourself? Yeah. So um, I think, uh, am I allowed to tweak the question to my younger self in general? Not necessarily uh, just of uh, course. a year ago. Of course. All right. Yeah. So, so kind of let, let, let me tweak it to that. Um, I would say uh, if you want to, to start a venture backable business, uh, and this ties into some of the advice that I just gave, right? Make sure that, again, you're committing to the right business model. When you commit to a certain business, it's a multi-year journey and affair. It's a very hard commitment, right? And so make sure that whatever business it is that you are starting, uh, you make sure that uh, this is really what you want to be getting into, right? Uh, mm. So, you know, I... I uh, started my first business really a little bit, um, I don't want to say accidentally, but really because I was bored uh, and I wanted to, to, to start something and it turned out to be a brand that grew and that did quite well. But uh, it also turned out to not be a venture backable business, right? Um, and that's something that we realized a little bit with time that, uh, you know, after trying to raise about a million dollars uh, for that, uh, that brand, we managed to put together about half of the money. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we were just not in the right place at the right time with the right business model. Uh, and so those factors just didn't come together to make it work. Right. And so um, if you're pushing at something with, uh, you know, a business model, business idea that is just not a fit for what it is you're looking to achieve, you're going to make your life extremely hard. Right. And so my advice would be, uh, you know, make sure that what it is you're deciding to pursue is in alignment with what it is that you're aiming to achieve. Life changing this one, especially for the ones who are first time founders. This is kind of, what you are saying is really life changing, and I, it really uh, resonated with me also. And it's very aligned with what Benoit uh, from Payflow has, uh, has said about it. So, what are you the most proud of so far on, on your journey as an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, uh, a couple things. I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll maybe mark out two things. Uh, you know, the first one with my first company, uh, we built a really powerful brand. It was a, it's a, it was a project born out of 
partly boredom, uh, but partly, you know, a big part of passion, right? Uh, and so that's why I ended up not being, uh, you know, uh, everything that we, we wanted it to be in terms of, you know, taking those boxes for like a venture backable business. But it was, it's certainly been a passion project and that has attracted a lot of people, right? So we've been covered in the New York Times and GQ and the biggest, uh, you know, watch uh, uh, publications in the world. And we have managed to create something that really has a bit of a cult following. Uh, so I'm quite proud of, of, of how I managed to, to do that. Uh, and it remains a, you know, an interesting, uh, really interesting journey to be a part of. Um, and with Zappi, I would say that, um, you know, beyond the achievements in terms of the business, how many merchants we're serving today, et cetera, um, I would say I'm extremely proud of our team. Uh, we've managed to put together an extremely, uh, you know, strong team that um, just has a, a, you know, great rapport, great team vibe going on. Uh, and yeah, so happy to, to work with them uh, day in, day out. So uh, to me, again, I was mentioning hiring people management is uh, the hardest challenge. Uh, but I think that we've done really well on that. And I'm really proud of the, the team that we have here at Zappi. Worst advice ever received? Worst advice ever received? Um, sorry, maybe you can cut out the segment. Well, <laughs> <laughs> worst advice ever received? Okay. So I think that, um, I don't know if it's the worst advice I ever received, but uh, maybe one thing to, to, uh, that people will be, want to be mindful of. Uh, when you start going to people for advice, uh, be it uh, investors or like fellow entrepreneurs, et cetera, uh, you know, opinions are a dime a dozen, right? Mm -hmm. So we have heard so many times from people who are otherwise putting for credible, uh, you know, absolutely diametrically conflicting uh, opinions, right? Uh, and so you do want to take... Um, take opinions with a grain of salt, right? Uh, and certainly have, you know, your vision of what is right in mind and uh, augment that with the opinions of others. Uh, but definitely don't take everything that is uh, mentioned to you, especially from people, voices of authority as gospel, because, uh, you know, soon you'll realize that uh, a lot of people are giving a lot of opinions. And uh, if you start mapping those together, they don't always make sense. <laughs> Absolutely, super powerful one. Favorite uh, book, business one or not? Yeah, uh, favorite book. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, a, maybe a big uh, a book that that wouldn't otherwise be recommended on your podcast. But Tim Clissold's um, Mr. China. So Tim right. Clissold is a is a a British person who lived uh, in China uh, right at the beginning of the reform and opening. Uh, era, right, and took part in uh, essentially the journey of investment of one of the first and largest American investors into private enterprise in China. Uh, it, it's a great book that's extremely readable, very entertaining. Uh, I do recommend anyone who has an interest in that period uh, of China's history, which is really interesting to have a look at it. Very original uh, recommendation. Thank you. Favorite movie or, or series? Favorite movie or series? Uh, been watching Snowpiercer? Uh, lately, the, the series, uh, and uh, I, I don't know what that, that says about my mindset, uh, because it's quite dark, <laughs> but, uh, but it's definitely entertaining. Now, this is a personal part. Uh, yeah. And of course, we are introducing a new one, uh, which is uh, your favorite podcast, excluding Scale Up Valley, to not put you in difficult waters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll say, you know, probably the one that I listen to the most uh, is the 20 VC. Uh, right. love Harry Stebbings, Harry uh, love all the guests uh, that, that come on the show. So uh, yeah, strong recommend. 
it's a great one. I really recommend it too. Uh, Andrew, any final remarks before we, uh, we go and we say thank you to Wilfred? No final remark, but I'm very impressed with this young man here. Like, and, uh, I, I, I look forward to see you becoming a unicorn in Southeast Asia soon. <laughs> Appreciate it. We're, we're going to do everything that we can to make that happen. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Cheers, Mike. What's what a great endorsement to end. Wilfred, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to host you and you are always welcome to, to come back to the show. Appreciate it. Likewise, uh, great, uh, great to be with you guys on the show and appreciate you having me. To the community, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life easier, uh, scaling up uh, your company. See you soon and keep scaling. Thank you.